Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 29 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Grisco, fantasy football analyst at fantasylawguy.com, at fantasylawguy on Instagram as well. Monday night recap and week one waiver wire. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boys. I saw it, son. I saw Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Week one is officially in the books. And the first Sunday of the season was certainly awesome. But last night really reminded me that fantasy football was back. And that's because I was sweating out two huge fantasy matchups that really came down to the wire. And of course, it was my two highest stakes leagues. And because of the week one doubleheader, that West Coast game didn't start until like 9-10 here. So I stayed up until like 1 a.m. to watch every second of both games because the last game came down to the wire and so did my matchup. In fact, it wasn't even decided until the Titans' final offensive play of the game with seconds to spare. I had Derrick Henry going in both leagues. In one league, I was against Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback, and and Johnu Smith, the tight end, in a PPR format. And the other league, also PPR, my opponent had A.J. Brown. And again, I had Derrick Henry in both, and I pretty much was tied, like to the decimal point, with like five minutes remaining in this game. So it was just kind of going back and forth, a fraction of a point here, one point there, trailing, leading, definite lead changes there. And the Titans needed points at the end of the game, so they had to throw, which hurt me. From a game flow perspective. But in their last two drives, I was just like praying. My heart was racing before every single play. Like I'm on the edge of my seat here. Uh, But honestly, I was watching in my bed. And Rachel, my wife, was sleeping next to me. And on the final drive with like 30 seconds left in the game, I'm trailing by like a fraction of a point in both games. And Derrick Henry caught a pass and then had like a 12-yard run to put him over 100 yards rushing. And that gave me a bonus in both of my leagues, which put me up about three or four points in both leagues. So I'm like trying, I'm lying there. I'm trying not to scream. I'm watching this on YouTube TV from my phone. Like all the lights are off. My dog's asleep. I'm tired. In the dog bed next to our bed, she's just kind of sees that I'm awake, kind of just rolls her eyes at me every time like I'm fist pumping. And I'm just like trying not to wake Rachel up, but also express my excitement. Like I'm trying not to make any audible noises. But I know that I can't celebrate too early because even though Derrick Henry got me over the hump, the Titans didn't want to kick this field goal because Steven Goskowski had been so shaky. So I knew that they wanted to score here and they still needed to throw in order to get to the end zone. It was third down and I'm going up against Tannehill in one league with Johnny Smith and I'm going to get him up against A.J. Brown in the other. So a Tannehill touchdown would sink me in one. And if it's to A.J. Brown, I'd lose both leagues, like on the last play for the Titans in the entire game, in the entire slate. And then on third down, 
final Titans play of the game with only seconds to spare. A.J. Brown gets open on a fade route in the corner of the end zone. I mean, he's wide open by NFL standards, and I see the throw going to him. Like, I can just see that he's getting open at the top of his route. Like, I'm thinking, oh, my, you know, I'm, like, cursing in my head. My heart just, like, stopped. And Ryan Tannehill then just overshot him. Like, he just missed the throw. He throws it over his head. It was incomplete. And the Titans have to kick. And I'm just elated. It was such a huge sweat. But I got the victory. I actually got the W in both leagues, despite bad showings in both of those leagues. I didn't really deserve to win. I was like the eighth or ninth highest scorer in both leagues. But it did cap off a 7-0 week one start for me. So nice start to week one. I coasted in my five other leagues. Uh, but it was not without cost, right? Like George Kittle already hurt. And we'll get to the nightmare that was James Conner in a moment. Game over. But definitely not without cost in week one. My teams are kind of reeling. He was my, those were my second and third round picks in a lot of my leagues. But last night, just a really intense fantasy night for me. And just what a sweat. But yesterday, I recapped the games on Sunday and provided necessary context for each important fantasy player statistical performance. And today I'm going to do the same with the two Monday Night Football games. But before I do that, I need to talk about three teams that I just completely ignored or forgot about including on yesterday's show. Like I just totally skipped over them. And it was a real accident there. And that's the New York Jets, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Washington football team. I gave recaps for their opponents, the Bills, Bengals, and Eagles respectively, and every other team that played on Sunday. But I guess I just moved on and really never got to the Jets, Chargers, and the football team. So you'll have to forgive me there if you listened to yesterday's show and wondering what my thoughts were like Antonio Gibson or Joe Mixon or Jamison Crowder or Scary Terry McLaurin. You know, it's week one for me too. And I honestly don't know how I left out three teams. Like really, like three teams. Like that's just, I honestly don't know what happened there. But I guess I just felt like it was a long enough show already. But nevertheless, I'll be recapping week one performances from a fantasy football perspective on seven teams today instead of four. So my bad for that. And then I'll discuss attacking the waiver wire this week. Players I'm okay with dropping, players I'm targeting in free agency, and how I'm approaching the waiver wire for this week. But first, let's discuss the New York Jets, the Washington football team, and the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday. The Jets got smacked by the Buffalo Bills. I discussed the Bills' offense yesterday, and the Bills' defense had a great game against the Jets, minus one exception play where that was a 69-yard catch and broken tackle and touchdown run by Jamison Crowder. And for the Jets' side here, there's not much to discuss. Sam Darnold, truly awful, 215 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. That was despite trailing all game, and the Buffalo Bills just had their way with Sam Darnold. Again, he was with four or five new offensive line starters in a shortened offseason. They haven't had time to gel. The Bills' defensive line is fierce and took advantage of that. Darnold's interception was thrown across his body into a crowd. Darnold also just had zero help. Like, he he doesn't appear capable of, like, raising the play of his teammates. He just hasn't been good in his career. But he just has a terrible offensive line. Adam Gase's offensive coordinator, or sorry, is his play caller, I should say and is running this offense just terribly. And his supporting cast also very weak. I mean, 
Jameson Crowder, Brashad Perryman, Chris Herndon. There's just not a lot there. So I kind of feel bad for Darnold, who's still young and could turn it around, but it just doesn't look like it's going to be with Adam Gase in this offense and possibly not with the Jets. So he's not really relevant from a fantasy perspective. Moving on to Jameson Crowder, 13 targets, 7 catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. I mentioned a lot of that production came on one 69-yard touchdown where he kind of broke a tackle and had a free path to the end zone. But he got the job done against a swarming Bills defense. And Jameson Crowder has now had 40 targets in the last three outings against the Buffalo Bills. And, of course, he vacuumed targets up as expected with Denzel Mims out. And Rashad Perryman, he missed a lot of training camp with injuries already. So Jamison Crowder, Sam Darnold really locked on him as a security blanket, and that's kind of what we thought. We didn't expect the long score, but that was just gravy there in a tough matchup. Jamison Crowder does produce. Chris Herndon didn't exactly produce seven targets, six catches, 37 yards. It wasn't really an impressive day for Herndon, but he did make some catches due to game flow. And I think he is kind of Sam Darnold's second target on this offense. I think he'll have better days. The Bills just have a really good defense. So Chris Herndon's probably somebody to hold for the foreseeable future until he has like three bad games in a row. And unfortunately, Le'Veon Bell exited with a hamstring injury, and he didn't do much before it. He left in the third quarter, I believe. At that point, he only had six carries, 14 yards, two catches for 32 yards. And Frank Gore and Le'Veon Bell had actually started to rotate by that point. Bell got the first series to themselves, and then they kind of rotated. We knew Adam Gase was going to be really frustrating with that. And obviously, it was a tough matchup with that new offensive line. Le'Veon Bell didn't have much to work with there. But this is a hamstring injury that he's been dealing with in training camp. And it was more of an aggravation there. So he's going to be out for like three weeks. And I just honestly, I mean, it's... It's looking grim if you drafted Le'Veon Bell, which you definitely did not if you were following my draft guide. But yeah, he's looking like a huge bust this season who surprisingly had an ADP in like round four. I thought it should should have been closer to like round eight, honestly. But moving on, because the Jets are terrible, the Chargers barely got by the Cincinnati Bengals 16-13, to but it was an important road win nonetheless. And I don't think I touched on Joe Mixon's Awful game yesterday in this game, uh, which was a pretty big deal because if you followed my draft guide, you likely ended up with Mixon maybe in early in round two. Mixon was my eighth overall rated player on my board, and it just sucked to see my ninth overall player, Devontae Adams, just go off. And my seventh overall player, my boy Josh Jacobs, also have the top week for all of running backs. And then sandwiched in between those two studs is Joe Mixon, which is just such a shame because Mixon ended up on a lot of my teams instead of Adams. But hopefully you were able to avoid that in drafts, and hopefully you you were able to get Devontae Adams, who I had as my number one receiver and ninth overall player. But Mixon just couldn't get anything going behind a bad offensive line in Cincinnati. He is notorious for slow starts. Like Mixon, horrible start last season in the first eight games, but then finished very, very strongly. So maybe this is just part of it. It was Joe Burrow's first game. It was a tough matchup as well. Uh, My concern is that he wasn't really used in the passing game a lot. I think he only still had two targets and one catch for like two yards or something like that. He was inefficient on the ground. That's one thing, but he did get 19 carries. There will be better rushing days, of course. My issue is the passing game. He was subbed out for Gio Bernard on a lot of downs. So my level of concern for Mixon is mild right now, 
but it's just an unfortunate reminder that because Cincinnati is so bad, they can have bad days at the office here, and Mixon is a factor in that, even though he's just a good player. So hopefully he can have a bounce-back week in Week 2. But getting to the Chargers, Terod Taylor did not look good in this game. He barely ran, which was very peculiar for him. I thought he was going to kind of make his living, his fantasy living at least, on his rushes. And honestly, he just looked like a player who was going to be benched at some point soon for Justin Herbert, the rookie there. And I don't know what it says that Terod Taylor was the clear-cut starter. Like, it wasn't even really a training camp battle, honestly. I don't know what it says about Herbert's development, but I think that Herbert is going to be playing sooner than later, especially if the Chargers start losing. Terod Taylor, in the meantime, was aggressive through the air, and he did he did throw the ball downfield, which is good. Uh, but that hurt Austin Eckler, and it hurt Keenan Allen to an extent, but it helped Hunter Henry and Mike Williams. Williams led the Chargers in targets with nine, four catches, 69 yards. He also had a... 25-ish yard gain. It was an amazing acrobatic one-hander, but he fell out of bounds as he corralled it. And again, that would have gone for even more. Williams is somebody I'll talk about later because he's likely on your waiver wire because he was questionable with the shoulder injury going into this game. But he played you know, most of the snaps and didn't really appear like he was in visible pain. He had a couple falls in this game. So yeah, Williams, things are looking up because he gels well with Tarod Taylor's downfield style. Keen Allen does not. Eight targets, four catches, 37 yards. This was the worry about Keenan Allen. This is why I faded him on my draft guide. Tarod Taylor just can't support Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Hunter Henry, even though they all saw a good volume with eight, tar- eight or more targets. But Allen just didn't have chemistry with Taylor, and they were just misconnecting. And even though Keenan Allen had a 27% target share, a lot of his catches were just of the short area variety, and Keenan Allen's a great receiver, but honestly, at this point, I would just kind of be hoping that Justin Herbert takes over the reins, and maybe Allen can have a strong second half of the season, but to be real with you, I don't have Allen on any of my teams, and I didn't advise you to get Allen on any of your teams at, as well, uh, so you likely don't have to worry about that issue if you are a follower of this podcast and my guide. Hunter Henry, same thing here, although Hunter Henry I mentioned that he had the great matchup in against Cincinnati here, and he took advantage. Eight targets, five catches, 73 yards. Henry looked healthy. He moved well with the ball in his hands, and he led the team in receiving yards with Terod Taylor at quarterback. And the Chargers often struggled to move the ball, but Henry was a big factor despite Mike Williams playing. So good news for Henry, who was just off my draft board completely. I didn't view him as a top 10 tight end. His ADP was tight end eight, but so far so good. For Hunter Henry. Moving on to the running game, not so far, not so good. 19 carries, 84 yards for Austin Eckler, but that's not bad. In fact, the 19 carries was more than he saw in any game last season, of course, because Melvin Gordon was there for 12 games last year. The issue is the one target, one target for Austin Eckler, three-yard catch, very, very concerning. And it's so concerning that after the game, Anthony Lynn was kind of pressed about it, the head coach there, and he said that it's a priority to get Austin Eckler the ball, so maybe we should expect a bounce back week next week, but he also kind of caveated that with, you know, it's not really Terod Taylor's style in the offense to be throwing short passes, like he wants them to press downfield, so I don't know. I'm pretty concerned about moderate concern there for Austin Eckler. I think he's a great player, but this is a team that 
I don't know. I don't think they're going to be above 8-8 eight and eight this season. They're going to go through quarterback turmoil. Maybe we should have Justin Herbert. Maybe we should want him being the starter if you drafted Austin Eckler in your league. Uh, but I do expect him to bounce back and have some good games. But he needs more receiving usage for him to put up like top 10 numbers. And that's kind of what you drafted him for. And the other concern that I had for Austin Eckler, other than a decline in receiving from going with Phillip Rivers to Terod Taylor, was that Eckler was, I didn't know if the Chargers were fully confident in using Eckler at the goal line. And this is something that a lot of experts just didn't talk about for whatever reason. I'm not sure why, but it was something, it was definitely a concern of mine throughout the offseason. And it ended up being a factor in week one. Josh Kelly, who I listed as a deep sleeper on my draft guide. Josh Kelly, 12 carries, 60 yards, and a touchdown. And he saw the goal line work for the Chargers. He handled multiple carries inside the 10-yard line. And and his touchdown was just kind of a one-yard plunge into the end zone. And after this game, Anthony Lynn said that the Chargers wouldn't have won without Kelly. So I wouldn't say that this is a full RBBC. I think Austin Eckler is still the 1A there. But Joshua Kelly, definitely a name to monitor. Absolutely Eckler's handcuff. And he just, it seems like he won out and beat Justin Jackson in this camp battle. Justin Jackson also had an injury. So Kelly is somebody that you definitely should either be adding if you don't have him already or monitoring at least in free agency if you're in a a 12-team league. But he was pretty impressive against the Bengals on Sunday. All right, moving on to the Washington football team. And that is led by Dwayne Haskins. And they upset the Eagles, so props to the football team there. But it was mainly Washington's defense that dominated this game. And as far as Washington's offense went, it was very conservative. Dwayne Haskins, he just totally sucked in the first half of this game. But he ended up coming coming along in the second half. But they just didn't do much offensively. They played very conservatively. Haskins was kind of lucky to find Logan Thomas late in the game in the fourth quarter, open in the end zone. And this game should have been bigger for Haskins considering the game flow early. The Eagles got off to an early lead and considering that the defense was so good that it gave Haskins a couple of red zone opportunities that he just pretty much squandered. It just did not look like Haskins had improved much over the offseason from when he struggled last season. And scary Terry McLaurin... Did not do much in his 2020 season opener here. Seven targets, five catches, 61 yards, no scores against the Eagles. And he was kind of being shattered by Darius Slay, who's a good corner for much of this contest. And he did lead the team in receiving catches, so he's going to have better days. But this was not very promising from Dwayne Haskins. This was obviously not McLaurin's fault, but we knew that kind of coming in when we drafted McLaurin, that he was going to be tied to Haskins' success, and we just did not see it here. The football team liked playing good defense and running the ball, so hopefully we get more volume from McLaurin later. Logan Thomas, tight end, kind of a deep sleeper here. Eight targets for Logan Thomas, four catches, 37 yards, and a score in the fourth quarter. The Washington coaches raved about this guy. And he's a quarterback turned tight end, and they raved about him throughout training camp. And Thomas is pretty athletic, and he did a good job of evading the Eagles' sorry linebackers. They're just so bad. But Logan Thomas, I can't tell if it was a matchup thing 
or if it was something real. He does have the athleticism, and the and the Washington football team lacks the supporting cast. The opportunity is there for Logan Thomas to be fantasy relevant, and we'll talk more about him later in the waiver wire portion. My deep sleeper on this team, Steven Sims, caught, I think, three passes for 50 yards. Again, he's only going to be a PPR guy in deeper leagues if the Washington football team win their trailing. Uh, Antonio Gibson, though, a lot more hype surrounding him. Gibson, nine carries, 36 yards, two catches, eight yards. So he totaled 44 yards in his debut. And Gibson did break into the open field on one of his carries, but he kind of tripped over his lineman, and it could have been a bigger gain. But the issue is that he only played like 20 snaps in this game. And J.D. McKissick, the pass catcher, and Peyton Barber, who's kind of just a plodding goal line back, played 29 snaps. So Gibson, third most snaps on his team. That is not ideal. Peyton Barber also had 17 carries, and he had two goal line touchdowns. And Gibson actually got the first carry near the goal line when the Washington football team got there, but he didn't convert. And then later on, they put Peyton Barber there, and he did convert two of his scores. So bad news for Antonio Gibson, but I'm still, you know, we're not making any drastic moves. We're not cutting him or anything like that. You just got to be patient with him. He was always a guy anyway, even before the Darius Geis release and before the Adrian Peterson release. He was always a guy that we were just going to wait to see and be patient with. And I think, you know, this just serves a reminder as Gibson's still a really, really raw rookie from Memphis. He only saw like 30 career college touches. And although he's very athletic and the football team wants him to succeed, he's just going to be a boomer bust play each week because he's just kind of a big play guy. But hopefully he'll be used more in the passing game and get more of a PPR floor. Okay, let's get to the Monday Night Football doubleheader. Last night, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the New York Giants on the road in Big Ben. 229 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. It was Big Ben's first game back since season-ending elbow surgery in Week 2 of 2019. He was pretty flawless, albeit it was against a very, very poor defense. The Giants have one of the worst defenses in the league, so it's tough to take a lot away from this game. It's kind of like an ideal scenario for Big Ben coming off the surgery and he gets the like one of the best cupcake matchups in the league, so he was able to get his confidence back. But it did immediately boost the Steelers' ent- entire offense, and he showed the rekindled connection with Juju Smith-Schuster. Six targets, six catches, 69 yards, two touchdowns. And after a horrible 2019 season where he battled injuries and pathetic quarterback play, Sands Big Ben Juju showed flashes of 2018 in this one where he was a top... 10 or top eight wide receiver and he beat the weaker Giants cornerbacks for two scores in the red zone he was very or actually perfectly efficient I should say so things are looking up for Juju Smith Schuster and Deontay Johnson was the clear-cut Steelers number two wide receiver I know James Washington had 34 yards and he scored a touchdown as well but Washington played 20 fewer snaps than Deontay Johnson who was used as a full-time player and it was a rough first half for Deontay Johnson. I think he only had like five yards at halftime, and he also had a drop or two. But he rebounded, caught five passes, 55 yards after the break. And he saw 10 targets yesterday, which led the team. Highest target share on the team for the Steelers. So Deontay Johnson, definitely a hold. And I actually think even though he just squandered an opportunity for a good game and a, and a favorable matchup, I think this is a positive sign. For De- Deontay Johnson. I mean, this is 
One of the reasons I was saying why you need to recap these games and go over the context is because the stats don't always tell the full story. And the stat that I care most about here is the 10 targets. That is heavy usage for a wide receiver who's barely ever played with Big Ben. So I like that. I would be pretty comfortable with Deontay Johnson on my teams, on my benches, and he might be a potential flex play sooner than later. Eric Ebron, the passing game, did not do much at all. He was used more as a decoy. I think he will have games where he scores touchdowns, but he's not fantasy relevant right now. The big news of this game, unfortunately for me, unfortunately for those who followed my draft guide, one of my biggest regrets, or I shouldn't say regrets, but it's looking like one of my worst calls of the entire 2020 season, James Conner exited with an ankle injury early in the second quarter. And Conner wasn't doing much before that. Six carries, nine yards. He wasn't going anywhere. Two catches for two yards. So he didn't look that good either. But James Conner got his ankle taped up. And that's not necessarily the bad part. I mean, we knew that that was a risk by taking James Conner. I did not think it was going to happen in week one. I did not want it to happen ever. But we knew that he's probably the most injury-prone player in fantasy football. I thought he was a massive injury discount this offseason. But it looks like the people who were fading him because he's so injury-prone, it looks like it worked out for them because he's already hurt. And the worst-case scenario happened when Benny Snell arguably took James Conner's job while Conner was busy taping up his ankle. I don't know if Conner likely would have even returned if he were healthy because the way that Snell played, 19 carries, 113 yards, he was just carving up the Giants' defense in a soft matchup. And that's exactly what I wanted out of James Conner. But Snell was the workhorse after James Conner. He saw 19 of the 20 carries post-James Conner exiting. And he also saw a target, but but Jalen Samuels was more the receiver or the pass catching back there. Connor only played 15 snaps, so his usage was technically pretty good because he saw six carries and then four targets in his 15 snaps. So 10 of the 15 snaps, they were trying to get Connor the ball, but he just went nowhere. And again, he got hurt, which is the big risk for James Connor. It's very, 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 very sad for me, and I feel terrible. For advising all of you to take this risk. I'm just telling you right now what I do every single week. Every single week. I put my freaking heart and soul into this. I study my ass off. I don't go out there and laugh. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny to me. I don't want to go out there and get embarrassed on Monday Night Football in front of everybody. Mike Tomlin said after the game that he'll give Connor a chance to recover and reclaim this backfield. He said the light would be green for James Connor in week two if he recovers in time. But I don't know, man. This is Mike Tomlin was frustrated with Connor's lack of ability to stay healthy last season. And this offseason, he went out of his way to talk about how he's relying on James Connor and he expects him to stay healthy and he wants to use him as a bell cow. And then this happens. So their patience is on very, very thin ice if it's not already shattered. So I'm just kind of freaking out about this situation. And that's just a big, big potential miss for me in my draft guide because I had Connor rated so high that he was very likely your third round pick. I myself have him on three or four of my seven teams that are not best ball leagues. So yeah, just huge, 
huge blow and, and just devastating. Like I just feel sick to my stomach about it. But moving on to the New York Giants. Daniel Jones, pretty good in this game, I would say. 279 yards against the Steelers' tough defense. Two touchdowns, but two interceptions. He also had 22 rushing yards. He looked pretty fast, and I like that rushing floor that you get out of Daniel Jones and Drew Locke, who I'll talk about in a second. But Jones was relied upon because the Giants just couldn't move the ball in the running game because their offensive line just couldn't open up any holes for Saquon Barkley, who I'll talk about in a second. Daniel Jones tossed a Danny Dime to Darius Slayton over the top of the defense for a 41-yard touchdown, and his other touchdown was in garbage time. He wasn't that great in this game, but it was just a tough spot against the Steelers' defense, and he was also missing Golden Tate in this game, and the Giants just could not run the ball at all. One of his interceptions was definitely like his fault. The other one, he kind of got hit as he threw, so some silly mistakes some inconsistency with Daniel Jones. But overall, I would be feeling pretty solid if I had Daniel Jones as like my second quarterback or like my backup on my fantasy team. So moving on to Darius Slayton, he was by far the best Giants receiver of the night. Nine targets, six catches, 102 yards, and two touchdowns in a horrible matchup here against the Steelers. Golden Tate was out, which really helped. Slayton moved to two wide receiver sets. I'm going to be interested to see if he's taken Golden Tate's, some of his snaps or his job basically. But, but Darius Slayton, electric rookie last year, he led the Giants in all receiving categories. And Slayton kind of ran by a cornerback on a play-action fake for his 41-yard. Beautiful touchdown in the second quarter. His second score, again, was just garbage time with like two minutes left to play. But Slayton showed his big playability and his chemistry with Daniel Jones. Sterling Shepard did also show his chemistry with Daniel Jones because he had six catches on only six targets. But... The big plays were not there. He just couldn't get behind this defense. He was more of a possession receiver, and Slayton had the more valuable routes there. So pretty disappointing game for Sterling Shepard, 47 yards even without Golden Tate, and not as disappointing, however, as Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, seven targets, two catches, nine yards. That is, that's yikes right there. That is a bad, bad day at the office for Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, not on my draft board, so you likely don't really care about this. And you might not care about it at all anyway because Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard were likely on your fantasy benches. But Ingram just never got going. He was the third on the team in targets. He did look healthy, which is good for him. But it's just a bad matchup. I mean, I think there's going to be better days here. But it's disappointing with Golden Tate out of this game. And it was arguably not even the biggest disappointment of the night because that went to Saquon Barkley. who 15 carries, pretty good, 6 yards rushing, 6 yards, 15 attempts. It was one of the most inefficient days for a running back who received 15 or more carries in NFL history, but luckily Barkley looked outstanding with the ball in his hands as a wide receiver, which kind of saved this nightmare night on the ground. The matchup was bad, obviously, but Barkley just didn't run that well either. His longest run went for seven yards, but he was just hit in the backfield often as well. So it was just kind of a mix between him not playing that well, running the ball, and the Giants just not opening up any holes against this really, really tough Steelers front seven and defense in general. There will be better days for Saquon Barkley, but you've got to hope that this Giants offensive line starts opening things up. Nick Gates, their starting center, was their backup right tackle last year for the Giants, and they lost Nate Solder. He opted out for the 2020 season because of past cancer issues, which put Cam Fleming 
at left tackle. It's just a disaster of a situation for the Giants' offensive line. So hopefully Barkley can still be doing damage in the receiving game. And he still still did get the usage you want out of a top-five pick. So I'm not panicking too much. It was just a tough opening draw for Saquon Barkley. And we'll go on to the last game here. Drew Locke could not defeat the Tennessee Titans. And they lost by, I think it was two points, 16-14 to 14 in that game. It was a low-scoring game. Drew Locke, 216 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. I don't think the stats actually did it justice for how solid or pretty good Drew Locke was in this game. I thought he looked better than the stats indicated. And this was he was put in a tough spot. No Cortland Sutton for him. He was out with a hamstring issue. K.J. Hamler, their speedster rookie who would have really opened up this offense with his speed, also out for this game. So two of his starting three receivers gone. He was throwing to like Tim Patrick and other nameless players other than Noah Fant, who had a really nice touchdown. Drew Locke kind of threw it across his body as he was like fading away. He like displayed his aggressiveness and also his arm strength on the play. And Noah Fant had a really strong first half. Six targets, five catches, 81 yards, and a score. All in the first half, he didn't even get a catch in the second half, which was crazy how they'd go away from him because he looked like a real playmaker with the ball in his hands. Very dynamic. I'd be very happy if I drafted Noah Fant on my teams, even if it is as like a even if I picked him as like a backup tight end, he might be the starter for your teams now. And Jerry Judy also had a decent day or a decent debut as a rookie. It wasn't great. Eight targets. Four catches, 56 yards, uh, no touchdowns, obviously. He was utilized as like the number one receiver, but again, Cortland Sutton and KJ Hamler were out. Jerry Judy had a really bad third down drop in this game, like on a perfect throw from Drew Locke. And it was at a very, very critical moment in the game. You can make the argument that it was kind of the turning point of the game. But his long, and unfortunately, his longest game also excuse me, his longest gain also came on the final play of the first half where the Titans were expecting a Hail Mary, so they just kind of dropped all their coverage, and Judy got free yardage. So so honestly, it sounds like I'm kind of crapping on Jerry Judy, but when the ball was in his hands, he did flash as a playmaker, so it's just a matter of him catching the football. But, but Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, I think things are looking up for them. I would be happy if I drafted Jerry Judy and uh, stashed him on my bench. Melvin Gordon, nice debut with the Broncos. 15 carries, 78 rushing yards, one touchdown, three targets, three catches, eight yards. He did have a fumble loss, and Gordon started really slowly in this game. It looked like this was going to be a running back by committee, just kind of a mess. He was working in tandem with Philip Lindsay, and he also lost a fumble. And I was thinking to myself, oh gosh, you know, you know, I called it Melvin Gordon's slow start for the season, working in tandem with Lindsay. Well, guess what? Philip Lindsay then left with a foot injury and never returned. He's got turf toe. So now, after that, Gordon sprung into action. So that's really all it took. He worked as the bell cow back after that. He pounded in a one-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter, and it looked pretty quick on a 25-yard run, which is his long. So even though Philip Lindsay picked up seven carries for 24 yards and 11 yards receiving before exiting in the late second quarter, I would I think things are looking good for Melvin Gordon. He might get more work than we expected early on because Philip Lindsay's dealing with this turf toe injury. And even if Lindsay plays, he may prove to be not as effective, which may want the Bron- may mean the Broncos give more attempts to Melvin Gordon. So right now I'm definitely wishing that I had drafted Melvin Gordon in round three as of my running back instead of James Conner. But we win some, we lose some. And I'll get to the last team of the day here, and that is the Tennessee Titans. 
and Ryan Tannehill looked pretty sharp. 249 passing yards, 14 rushing yards, and he had two touchdowns in this game. And Tannehill attempted over 40 passes, and he never did that one time in his 12 starts last season for the Titans, including playoffs. And the Titans ran a whopping 78 plays in this game. The league average is probably about 64, if I had to guess. I'm not confident. I'm, I'm somewhat confident on that number. Usually it's around 64, 65, maybe 62 to 65 range. But either way, 78 plays, definitely one of the highest numbers of week one. And Tannehill kind of guided a game-winning drive in the low-scoring affair. And the Titans would have posted more points if it wasn't for Steven Goskowski's terrible kicking in both Tannehill's touchdowns were one-yarders like off play fakes to Derrick Henry who like the Broncos defense just swarmed on all day. And that's just what all teams are going to do, right? Like that's why Tannehill's so effective in this offense because everybody thinks Derrick Henry's going to get the ball and usually he is. I mean, he had over 30 carries in this game. But that's why play action, the Titans run it more than any other team because everybody's swarming to Derrick Henry and especially in the, in the goal line, it just leaves all these players open. When they run a play fake near the goal line, that's exactly what happened. So Tannehill, pretty sharp in this game. I definitely want him on my teams as my backup fantasy quarterback. A.J. Brown, pretty disappointing debut. Eight targets, five catches, 39 yards. Brown was just overshadowed by Corey Davis, who had eight targets, seven catches, 101 yards. And Davis just looked really healthy. He was actually questionable going into this game. With a hamstring issue, but he was really looked really healthy. He was making a lot of great grabs, and Tannehill was hitting him in stride on some of these catches. And he was very physical as well. And he's entering a contract year, so he's definitely a name to watch and potentially pick up on the waiver wire this week. I'll get to that in a second. But Corey Davis had no 100-yard games last year, but he opened up the year with one with a 101-yard game against Denver. And AJ Brown again was overshadowed by Corey Davis. And Brown just had, like, I think maybe one catch for, like, two yards in the first half. But then in the second half, Tannehill started to make sure that Brown got the ball, got involved as well. And A.J. Brown had this amazing stretch from weeks 11 through 17 last season where he was the wide receiver two in fantasy football. But he's done really next to nothing in his last four games, including playoffs. He did nothing in the playoffs. I talked about that in my podcast episodes leading up to the season. His playoff games were the biggest game logging red flag. He just did just, just was invisible for them. And here he had another bad game. So this is four bad games in a row for AJ Brown. We know the potential is there, but we need to start seeing it. And the Titans just looked intent on utilizing Corey Davis just as much as as AJ Brown and also Johnu Smith, who I listed as my number one sleeper tight end this year. He had a good opening game, albeit it wasn't a favorable matchup. The Broncos really have a tough time covering tight ends, seven targets, four catches, 36 yards, and a touchdown. And the touchdown was kind of a one-hander where he was found open in the end zone because of the play fake to Derrick Henry. So yeah, pretty good, not great debut for Jonu Smith. But the seven targets are very nice. And lastly, Derrick Henry didn't have a great game in this one. The Broncos just did a really, really good job, even without Von Miller, to corral Derrick Henry. And he was hit in the backfield a lot in this game, but the volume obviously was there. 31 carries in this game. That's huge. 116 yards. Darrington Evans, the backup running back for the Titans, was out for this game. So they had picked up somebody off the street a couple of days ago to play, and he played sparingly in 
obvious passing downs, but Derrick Henry, three catches, three targets, 15 yards. That's actually better receiving line than Henry usually has. But again, the Broncos were keying on the run. Henry, the workhorse, he grinded out some crucial yards late to help set up the game-winning kick and to win and to help me win my fantasy games. But he remains the focal point of the Titans offense. He will have better days than this one. All right, that's all the games for week one. Real quickly, let me go over some injury news because some things have come out since the last time we spoke. Michael Thomas, high ankle sprain. No! I mentioned that he kind of rolled his ankle or tweaked his ankle at the end of the Tampa Bay Bucks game. It was like one of the, one of the last possessions. You can make the argument that Thomas shouldn't even been playing at that point. However... I did not think it was going to be a high ankle sprain. So this is obviously bad news here, and it definitely sucks. I mean, we saw this injury sap the production of Saquon Barkley last season. High ankle sprains can be of a different variety, but it's usually a four- to six-week healing process if you don't play through it, and, and it could be longer if you do. Like we saw Barkley return too early last season. But Michael Thomas, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses a week or two, but we will see. But it's definitely a rough start if you drafted Michael Thomas. He may not be fully healthy for another few weeks. Either way, you have to temper expectations here. The same is the case with George Kittle. And George Kittle, I do expect him to miss at least this week, possibly next with this knee injury. It seems like it's going to be like a two-week injury if I had to guess. And if you drafted Kittle on teams like I did, you can use today's show to see who to grab in free agency. The Browns reportedly actively shopping Odell Beckham. It doesn't come from the best source. It's Mike Francesca is the source, and he kind of has an axe to grind with Odell Beckham, dating back to his days in New York. He's like a New York radio guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhat true. Maybe they're entertaining offers and maybe just not demanding it. I really expected an, a bounce-back season from Odell Beckham this year. But this is honestly, it could be better for his fantasy value if he is traded. And I'm not just trying to justify my high ranking on Odo Beckham. I really missed the mark there. The Cleveland's still obviously a disaster, but it just looks like a lost cause in Cleveland for Odell Beckham. I think that this is great news for Jarvis Landry as well because I they wouldn't entertain offers to trade Beckham unless Landry was fully healthy. And Be- if Beckham did get moved, Landry would be a target monster as he usually is for his quarterbacks. Another frustrated wide receiver news, Allen Robinson is a little peeved at the Bears right now. He's in contract negotiations. They won't extend him for whatever reason. He did the whole, you know, unfollow the Bears on all social media kind of thing. And that's like the modern day first step to demanding a trade publicly. I'd love for like one of Odell Beckham or Allen Robinson to land in like New England. Uh, Miami's an option with Devontae Parker hurt. Jacksonville would be kind of fun. Green Bay would be sweet. But New England is my favorite landing spot for both of them because they just do not have uh, capable wide receivers. And Cam Newton would be a fun quarterback to pair with those guys. The Browns are placing David Njoku on IR with a knee injury. He scored the Browns' only touchdown in week one, and his absence helps Austin Hooper. And short-term IR means that he has to at least miss the next three games, which means the earliest he will be able to play is week five. In other news, Eagles coach... Doug Peterson said that he limited Deshaun Jackson's snaps in week one. And there was a period in the first half where Deshaun Jackson sat out a series or two. And I didn't mention it yesterday because I figured he was fine or catching a breather or something like that. I'm not tired. But Peterson said that he's going to increase Deshaun Jackson's snaps each week. 
which is just an odd thing to say because Deshaun Jackson has come out and said he's not hurt. So I guess maybe he's monitoring him because of age. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's some sports science stuff. I don't really know. But according to Roto World, Jackson led all receivers in air yards per target with 30 yards on average per target. So he was solely used as a deep threat in week one, which is kind of, I guess, what we expect out of Deshaun Jackson. We want more, maybe some screens to try out, but they just rarely connected. He and Carson Wentz rarely connected in week one. We will see if they they can change that in week two. I'm not panicking on DJX yet. Colts coach Frank Wright says that Jonathan Taylor will be the starting running back moving forward, a.k.a. it's time to throw a fantasy football party and get ready to dominate your league if you have Jonathan Taylor on your teams. Frank Wright said that Naeem Hines will still be a big part of this offense. We'll talk about him in the waiver wire show. But Jonathan Taylor, probably a top 12 asset overall in fantasy football right now. So people who drafted him in round three or four caught a huge break when Marlon Mack got hurt. Reminder that Jonathan Taylor wasn't even being, he was third string. He wasn't even seeing the field when Marlon Mack was out there. So this is just a huge break, no pun intended, with Marlon Mack going down and and JT is just ready to rock and roll and be one of the most valuable players in fantasy football this season. He certainly looks like a league winner. And I had him, uh, I think, 10 or so spots higher than ADP as a potential fourth-round selection. But I wish I was even higher on Jonathan Taylor. Hey, I wish I had him over James Conner. That would be nice. But we have to move on. Fantasy football, a weekly game. And we have to get ready for the next phase of our fantasy football seasons, which is preparing for week two. And the first step to do that is working the waiver wire for our first series of ads and drops. So week one waiver wire ads, the main event for some people who are listening. Some experts are telling us to not overreact to week one. And they cite a bunch of crazy week one performances from years past where the players have ended up amounting to nothing for the rest of the season. And simultaneously, other experts are telling us to not underreact. Remember Terry McLaurin last year? A.J. Brown had a big week one last year. Gardner Minshew did. D.J. Chark. What a waiver wire ad he was. But for all of them, of course, there are the John Rosses who had seven catches, 158 yards, and two touchdowns last year in week one. He totally flopped. Chris Thompson, seven catches, 68 yards in week one last year, did nothing for the rest of the year. Vernon Davis had a big game with Jordan Reed hurt, and Vernon Davis was useless for the rest of the year. Danny Amendola, seven catches, 100 yards in week one last year. Obviously, he did nothing. Case Keenum, popular week one ad last year. He kind of tore up the Eagles defense in week one. And that did not pan out very well. And Malcolm Brown, two touchdowns in week one last year, did nothing afterwards. And here we are again with the same story about Malcolm Brown. But if you spent your free agency, your fab money on those guys, you were not happy. So I guess the moral of the story is we can't overreact and we can't underreact. So we have to medium react. We needed a reaction that is right in the middle, I guess. So I'm going to go over a list of players first that I'm comfortable cutting, like a drop list per se, and I'll talk about possible waiver wire ads after that. 
And I'm basing this off all off a 12-team league in general. But I'll add some 10 bits, about 10-team, 14-teamers. And this is also 0.5 or full PPR and start one quarterback leagues. So basically just traditional mainstream leagues, even though I'd prefer Superflex leagues and I'd prefer point per first down leagues rather than point per reception leagues. But most people play in these traditional, this ESPN, Yahoo, NFL.com, like default setting leagues, basically. So I have to appeal to the masses here. You can always post a specific question on my website. There's an area where you can drop your question in. I'll answer it on the show. And my social media, at Fantasy Law Guy. You can hit me up if you have a specific question, if you have a weird type of league where you want to know how that player fits in there, or if I don't happen to mention a player today. Maybe I forget somebody. I forgot three teams yesterday on my breakdown, so you never know. So anyway, here's kind of a drop list that I've come up with. Quarterbacks, I'm letting go of Baker Mayfield. I'm letting go as a backup quarterback. I'm letting go of Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you were hoping that there was going to be some Fitz magic from last season, I'm letting go of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Sam Darnold, Tarod Taylor. The only reason you'd have Tarod Taylor on your team is if you were like streaming week one. And even if even in super flex leagues, I'm kind of arguably letting these guys go. Maybe I'll give Baker Mayfield another chance, but definitely in one quarterback leagues, all those guys, you know, they're gone. Derek Carr likely gone as well. Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think it's a huge deal if you cut. Teddy Bridgewater, Jimmy Garoppolo definitely should also be off your teams in one quarterback leagues. And I shouldn't have to mention Dwayne Haskins, but he should not be on your teams as well. Running backs, Jordan Howard. That was a yucky running back by committee situation in Miami. He got like the first six carries for Miami Dolphins. Went nowhere. He ended up getting a goal line score later. But no, this he's just not reliable. He doesn't fit in well with Chan Gailey's offense. He doesn't catch passes for a bad Miami team. I know you had probably invested like a ninth or 10th round pick on Jordan Howard. Not if you followed my guide, but you may have uh, picked Jordan Howard anyway because he just fell so far and you couldn't resist. I did it in one league, I'll admit. However, it was a bad decision. Should have stuck to the guide, although I can't brag too much about that right now because of the James Conner issue. But Jordan Howard, he is definitely cuttable. I'd be walking away from him already. Same for Matt Breida. It's just, it was like a four way running back by committee in Miami. It was just ugly. They don't have a lot of upside. I'm cutting Matt Breida as well. Justin Jackson looked like he lost the backup running back battle to Joshua Kelly to be the 1B behind Austin Eckler. And so Justin Jackson definitely should not be on 12 team rosters. Philip Lindsay is a tricky one because he's got the turf toe, so he's going to be less effective. But also, you know, Melvin Gordon, pretty good opening game. They were used in tandem even before. Lindsey got hurt, but I just don't think a tandem back is really what you want for the Denver Broncos. And even if Lindsey got lucky and Melvin Gordon went down, we saw Lindsey without Melvin Gordon last year, and he was like RB28 or maybe RB24 on the season. I just don't think his upside is high enough to justify rostering him on 12-team formats. He, he, to me, he's just more of like a handcuff, and he's not as good as a lot of handcuffs that I'll talk about in a second. The Patriots backfield, James White, Sony Michelle, and Rex Burkhead. James White's going to appear somewhat controversial like Jordan Howard because you probably, if you picked him, which you didn't if you followed my guy, but if you did, you probably spent like a ninth or 10th round pick on James White. I just don't see it with Cam Newton. I don't think Cam Newton's interested in checking down a lot. He's not going to have the same chemistry and usage of James White as Tom Brady did, of course, where they've been developing this chemistry over years and years and years. 
And it looks like the Patriots are going full RBBC. You have Cam Newton stealing goal line carries from them as well. He scored two rushing touchdowns in week one. So I, I just, yeah, I just don't see it with these Patriots running backs. I know they're going to be a run first team, but there's just too many of them. James White, Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead all received like 20 snaps basically in, in week one. And then we have Damian Harris who's on IR with the hand, he comes back in week four. So it's going to get even muddier. So yeah, I mean, it sucks to cut, you know, your ninth round or 10th round pick Jordan Howard and, and James White. But honestly, fantasy football is about adapting. It's about making moves. And if you if you sit there and be patient for too long, it, the opportunity cost is missing on the next, you know, potentially Terry McLaurin or DJ Chark. So you don't want these guys just rotting away on your bench, just receiving like, I don't know, four or five catches a week. That's like James White's upside. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to cut players just because you drafted them maybe high. I mean, I honestly want to freaking cut James Conner like right now, and he was my third-round pick. I won't, but I mean, that's honestly just what I want to do. I'm already so frustrated with the situation. You don't want to develop emotional attachments to these players because fantasy football, winning in fantasy football is about making adjustments and taking it as a week-to-week game in making hard decisions. And there's a theory in economics called sunk cost. You've already sunk the cost in the draft. Things change so fast in the NFL. So just don't be afraid to get rid of guys who are not producing. Their draft capital is irrelevant right now. It's honestly irrelevant. It doesn't matter anymore. Once week one starts, everything changes. And that's just kind of my spiel overall here that I wanted to give in week one waiver wire. Now's a more appropriate time than ever. Justin Jefferson is another one. Now, he's a guy I you can make the argument that he's worth stashing because the Vikings just don't have good number two pass catcher other than Adam Thielen, and it looks like they will be throwing a lot more often if week one is any indication because their defense stinks. But Justin Jefferson, he just he's getting out-snapped by B.C. Johnson right now. He's not a starter for this team. The team wants to be run first, and they do have Adam Thielen as a target hog. Kirk Cousins isn't exactly a quarterback who's going to just start lighting it up. I think that you can make the argument to hold Justin Jefferson, and he could be like a stash, but it just depends on how patient you want to be. I would, I don't want to advise automatically dropping Justin Jefferson like I would with like Jordan Howard or Justin Jackson, but, but I'm okay if you do cut Justin Jefferson in 12-team leagues. I'll put it this way. If I saw Justin Jefferson on on my waiver wire in my 12-team leagues, I don't know that I'd run to go get him. The only way I could really justify it is if I had the space and I want to stash him for a couple more weeks before he starts being relevant. Raquel Armstead we and Chris Thompson, we saw in Jacksonville that James Robinson is the starter there. Clear cut. I'll talk about him in a second. But Chris Thompson was supposed to get the pass-catching work and be a change of pace back there for Jaguars. It just didn't happen. So Chris Thompson, you know, he's gone. Sorry. I mean, he's a good PPR sleeper. I liked him as a deep sleeper. But no, I mean, despite the relationship with Jay Gruden, it just didn't – it's not looking like it works out. It looks like they really like James Robinson there. So, you know, if you want to hold Chris Thompson for one more week, I could – I'd be fine with that. Raquel Armstead, he should definitely be on waiver wires. They like James Robinson a lot more than Raquel Armstead, and Armstead is hurt. Bryce Love was an, a healthy scratch in this game. He's the team's fourth running back. You can go ahead and drop him. Marlon Mack, unfortunately, if you weren't aware, tore his Achilles out for the season. You can go ahead and drop him. Duke Johnson also got hurt 
in week one. I think he's questionable for week two, but we saw that the Texans really want to use David Johnson as the bell cow back. Duke Johnson, pretty much only a handcuff right now, so you can treat him as such. If you don't want to roster a Texans handcuff on your team, then cut Duke Johnson. Darrington Evans, only a handcuff at this point, and he's hurt. A handcuff for Derrick Henry, that is. I would feel totally comfortable cutting Duke Johnson and Darrington Evans for players that are actually useful right now. LaShawn McCoy, also, he played like 20 snaps in this game, but he didn't really see any usage whatsoever. I would go ahead and cut LaShawn McCoy. Daryl Henderson, same thing. He was the third running back in the rotation for the Rams. Malcolm Brown looked better. Cam Akers looked better. They have more capital in both of I shouldn't say they have more capital on both of them, but they appear more invested in Malcolm Brown and K-Makers right now. They appear better players than Daryl Henderson, so you can go ahead and cut Daryl Henderson. So I'll move on to wide receivers. Rashad Perryman, Jets, technically their number one receiver. You can wait on this if you want, but there's probably better wide receivers in free agency in 12-team formats. I'm like, okay, if you want to wait on it. Uh, he is the deep threat for Sam Darnold. Denzel Mims is hurt, but I just feel like this offense is just so bad. The offensive line may not give them Sam Darnold a lot of protection to hit Rashad Perryman deep, and Darnold appears locked on Chris Herndon and Jamison Crowder as his targets. So even though game flow will be in Rashad Perryman's advantage, I think you can go ahead and release him. I won't really make an argument for it, but I also won't make an argument against it if you want to hold him for one more week. Larry Fitzgerald was drafted in a lot of teams. Look, he had a pretty good week. He caught four or five passes in week one on five targets. He was probably the second best Cardinals receiver ahead of Christian Kirk. But I just think the upside is just so limited as the slot receiver in this offense that has Kenyon Drake, that has Kyler Murray running around, that has DeAndre Hopkins being a target hog, and that also has Christian Kirk getting the deep shots. So Larry Fitzgerald, you know, he's waiver wire fodder, honestly. And Christian Kirk may be next in that, honestly. And I loved Christian Kirk. I don't want to say I loved, but I liked him as a sleeper this year, kind of a post-hype breakout candidate. He saw five targets in week one, uh, which is nothing compared to DeAndre Hopkins, like 17 or 16 that he had. But Christian Kirk, he got like a couple deep shots thrown to him. Maybe one if one of those con- would have connected, maybe I would be speaking differently of Christian Kirk. But none of them did. So he's kind of a boomer bust option each week. I'm okay if you want to cut Christian Kirk, especially in a 10-team format. I think you can. In a 12-team, I'm like kind of 50-50 on that. I wouldn't really argue if you cut Christian Kirk for somebody better. But I also, I'm going to be holding him on the two leagues that I do have him. I'm going to be trying one more week uh, for Christian Kirk. But the goose egg was definitely disappointing in week one. Golden Tate, he's hurt. So I'm okay with cutting Golden Tate, honestly. I think his floor is pretty low as a PPR, kind of like a possession receiver for the Giants. I mean, his like best game that he's going to have is maybe seven catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. And that's like his best case scenario, I think. You have Darius Slayton there. You have Evan Ingram there. You have Barkley there. You have Sterling Shepard there. The question is, do you have an IR spot? That's really the question of whether holding Golden Tate is worth it. He's already hurt, so I I don't know. I'm okay with cutting him. Nicole Hardman is another sleeper like Christian Kirk, a deep threat like Kirk that I had. He only saw 20 snaps in week one. He was clearly the wide receiver four behind Sammy Watkins at wide receiver two behind Demarcus Robinson. Demarcus Robinson saw like 34-ish snaps, and he actually dropped two touchdowns in this game, and he saw five targets compared to Nicole Hardman's whopping one. So I feel the same way about Hardman as I do about Christian Kirk. Look, when you drafted McCall Hardman, 
you knew that he was going to be the backup to start the season, or at least I think you did. I thought I made that pretty clear. So McCall Hardman is kind of playing the long game, but sometimes you draft players to play the long game and to hold on to them to hope that you have a league winner by season's end, and sometimes you're able to stash them because you have the luxury to do so, and it works out for you. And other times you have to make moves because you know you need to rack up wins early and getting into the playoffs. So it's just too bad, so sad. Like you got to cut them, and you just can't wait that long for them. You you can't be that patient. A lot of people don't have that flexibility. Uh, however, in my experience, sometimes cutting people too early can really come back to burn you. You know, like if Sammy Watkins got hurt next week, McCall Hardman's are uh, going to be one of the top waiver wire ads in week three. So you just never really know. But there's plenty of people who, you know, you feel like you can't cut as well where you do make the move and then they just don't end up being good. You know, it just works both ways. So I'm just kind of 50-50 on whether you should be holding McCall Hardman. You know, what does your gut tell you there? Tight end, Blake Jarwin tore his ACL in this game. Popular sleeper from the experts. He is out for the year. You can cut him. Irv Smith, one of my deep sleepers at tight end, he just did not play very well, and it was not used like I thought it was going to be in week one. I'm okay with cutting Irv Smith. There are other tight end options. Eric Ebron, if you drafted him late, he was not really utilized as much as I thought as well. So you can cut Eric Ebron. Rob Gronkowski, and this is a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. You got nowhere near drafting Rob Gronkowski if you followed my draft guide, but some people who follow my show did draft Gronk. They wanted him to be a thing. He's not a thing. He's the probably the third best tight end for the Bucks right now, he looked pretty washed to me, honestly. They're going to try to manufacture him some touches to keep him satisfied, I guess. But I think they're mainly using Gronk to block. And I think O.J. Howard is the better tight end on this Bucks team. They also have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans competing for touches. So yeah, Gronk, low ceiling, low ceiling. We saw his low floor. It's just really a no-win situation. It's time to say goodbye to Rob Gronkowski. I don't think he's going to be a thing this year. At defense, uh, there's four defenses that I can come up with when I was looking at leagues that I think should be dropped. The Vikings are obviously the first one. If you follow my draft guide or follow this podcast, at least you had no business touching the Vikings. I've talked at length about how they're going to be a worse defense this year. But some people did start them in week one against the Packers, what they thought was going to be a low-scoring game. Aaron Rodgers took note of that and shredded them. The Vikings like had negative eight points in my league formats. They are just... They lost their three starting cornerbacks uh, this offseason. Daniel Hunter is on short-term IR. He's not eligible to return until week four. The Vikings, just not a good pass defense right now. So you can cut them safely. The Rams defense, they played well in week one, and they were drafted in a lot of leagues. For whatever reason, I didn't get it. I think the Rams defense is not that good after Jalen Ramsey, after Aaron Donald, two of the best players in the NFL. But other than them, they just really don't have anyone on the defensive side of the ball. I'm okay with cutting the Rams. I think they out kind of outplayed their talent in week one, which is good for them. But I'd be surprised if they kept it up. But if you want to use them one more week against the Philadelphia Eagles and Carson Wentz, which was turnover city in the second half, and their offensive line is all banged up, I'm also okay with that with as well. Like if I see the Rams cut, I won't think twice about it either way, whether they're held or whether they're cut. I think you can make the argument that their matchup against the Eagles this this week is a good matchup. So maybe you want to keep the Rams one more week. That's fine. The Eagles' defense should be cut, however. They were just not very good against the Washington football team, and that's one of the worst offenses in the league. 
And I think the offensive line injuries that they have kind of hurt game flow there. So you can get rid of the Eagles' defense. I know they were drafted in a lot of leagues in like the last round because they opened up with Washington. It was a decent start, but now that start is over. They don't get Dwayne Haskins every week. This week they get the Rams again, so I would just cut them. Chargers' defense, look, they're a very, very talented defense, and they played really well in week one. They were a good start against Joe Burrow in his, his debut but the Chargers, unfortunately, if you drafted them, you probably picked them really late. You were probably playing the matchups there. You probably wanted to get Joe Burrow in his first start. Hey, that worked out pretty well for you. But now it's time to keep playing matchups. The Kansas City Chiefs are on the clock next for the Los Angeles Chargers. And they have a great defense, but you cannot start them against Kansas City. You probably don't want to be holding two defenses. So bye-bye, Los Angeles Chargers. And as far as kickers go, I think... The following kickers should be rostered in 12-team leagues. Justin Tucker, Will Lutz, Harrison Buttkicker, Greg the Leg Zerline, I know I did a bad week in week one, Robbie Gold, and Zane Gonzalez. If I did not mention your kicker's name right now, you can go ahead and cut them. And yes, I know I didn't name 12 kickers, and I said it was a 12-team league, but that's because the rest should be streamed weekly. And I'll get to who to add at kicker in a moment. All right, we're getting to the ad list here. And keep in mind, I don't know what waiver system you use. Most people use FAB, which is advisable. That's free agent auction budget. That is the preferred and most fair and fun method. But some people still have the old school commissioners that really like rolling waivers. So when I say priority, I mean I'm referring to that. When I mention that I pay X amount of your FAB money, that I'm obviously referring to spending your FAB money on certain players. And I don't know how competitive your leagues are. So keep in mind that if I mention like a guy who seems like he should obviously be rostered, please just don't get upset. Everybody's league is different, and I don't want people to miss out on opportunities just because they play in a more casual setting. So quarterback here, Ryan Tannehill. I talked about him earlier in the episode. He has a great matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars in Week 2. Ryan Tannehill should definitely be rostered in 12-team formats. He He should be the backup quarterback on somebody's team. He's even, honestly, borderline. You know, I think he's close to top 12. I think Ryan Tannehill's like the 14th best like fantasy quarterback. But he's streamable, and I would recommend streaming him against the Jaguars this week. So Ryan Tannehill definitely should be rostered and picked up if he's in free agency in your league. Uh, same for Phillip Rivers. Same story there. I don't think he's a top 14 fantasy quarterback, but I do think he's a top 20 for sure. And he gets the Minnesota Vikings. So I talked about how bad their pass defense was. One of the worst pass defenses in the league. Aaron Rodgers just ripped him up for four touchdowns over 350 yards. And he could have had a fifth touchdown, but Marcus Valdez-Scantling dropped it. And this is a great matchup for Phillip Rivers. And we too, he should be added uh, for streaming purposes. Mitch Trubisky, I don't have the stomach to start him personally, but he does face the Giants. I feel the same way about Jimmy Garoppolo, who was terrible on Sunday, and he may be without George Kittle in this game, but he does face the Jets. The Jets and Giants are definitely matchups that you want to aggressively target. So if you are weak at quarterback for whatever reason, you want to stream Mitch Trubisky or Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe it's a two-quarterback league or Superflex league, go ahead and do it in week two. But again, it obviously comes with a lot of risk because they are just not very good quarterbacks. All right, moving on to running back. The top available streaming options. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I know this sounds like a cop-out. I don't think there's like a clear-cut number one ad. Uh, The top three people that will be added will be Malcolm Brown, 
who just had the running back four showing of the week for the Rams. The risk with Melton Brown is that we've already seen this story before. Last year, he had two touchdowns in the opener, and the Rams just kind of phased him out for Todd Gurley. They could do the same thing for Cam Akers, who they just drafted in the second round of April's draft. So I don't know. It's probably going to be a running back by committee. Malcolm Brown seems to be the goal line back there, which is good. He should have some other relevant weeks. But if you look forward to the schedule for Malcolm Brown, he has the Eagles, which is a good run defense next week, and then the Bills. After that, he does get the Giants. But it's just kind of hit or miss for Malcolm Brown. I would definitely be spending some fab money on him, and I'd definitely be putting him as one of my top priorities. But I'm not like exactly breaking the bank for Malcolm Brown because I think that over time, Cam Akers will be the lead back on this team. I don't think Malcolm Brown's going away like he did last year. Maybe he'll retain goal line duties for this team, but I think he's going to be more of a 1B to Cam Akers on this team. Now, if something happens to Cam Akers, then Malcolm Brown's value is going to skyrocket. So I don't know. You just never really know there. Again, probably a top priority, but not someone I'm just like breaking the bank of fab money to get. Uh, The same is the case with Benny Snell. And Benny Snell, probably going to be the most popular waiver wire ad this week. And people are probably going to spend most of their fab money on him. If you want Benny Snell, I think you're going to have to spend like at least 30%, probably closer to 40-50% of your fab budget on Benny Snell. The problem is that it looks like James Conner just kind of has more of an ankle tweak. It looks like they're going to give... James Conner, another shot. Now, I don't know if James Conner is going to take advantage of that shot. I really don't. So part of me thinks that Benny Snell could be the lead back for the Steelers, which would be great. And I would be much higher on Benny Snell if he caught passes, but he doesn't. Uh, Jalen Samuel will be the pass-catching running back for the Steelers. And I would also be much higher on Samuel if the Steelers didn't lose two of their starting offensive linemen for the season in the Week 1 opener. That's right. They lost their starting right tackle, Zach Banner, torn ACL. And they lost their starting left guard, Steven Wisniewski, who exited with a torn pec. And they're both out for the year. So it might be a little tougher than we expect or than I expected. I thought the Steelers coming in had a really good offensive line. Now they're really kind of banged up there. And we also, the other thing about Benny Snell that gives me hesitancy is we don't know if that was the new and improved Benny Snell where he lost all this weight this offseason, which he did, like he focused on improving his body and he got leaner and faster, which is great and he just deserves prop for it and he does look better. But we don't know if a lot of that production that we saw was based on the Giants' run defense or just defense in general just being that bad. So it really is a tough call or a tougher call than I think than you would think with Benny Snell. like Because on the surface when this happened, I was like, oh, well, well, dang, James Conner's not getting his job back. This could be a serious, it could be a high ankle sprain. I don't know. But then Benny Snell lost a fumble, and then he was playing against the Giants, and then he lost two of his starting offensive linemen for the season. And then James Conner, you know, Mike Tomlin said that he's going to get the green light for week two if he's available. Now, I don't think that means green light that Conner's going to be the bell cow that I thought he was going to be, honestly. I think it means that he's going to get the green light to play, really, and he'll get another chance to be the starter. But Benny Snell's definitely earned himself more playing time, which is bad news for James Conner drafters like myself. But I just don't know if it's worth breaking the bank for James Cal- James Snell. excuse me. 
And I would be more inclined to spend on him if I did have James Conner because the loss is more substantial if Conner does get benched for or gets misses time for this ankle reason. The third running back I'd probably look to is Naheem Hines if he's in free agency. Naeem Hines, definitely in PPR formats. I'd probably favor Snell and Brown in non-PPR formats. And I might even favor Hines in full point PPR than both of those guys. I'm just not really sure because I think that Hines is going to have a bigger role than expected. I know Jonathan Taylor is going to be the starter. But I think Hines, we saw him getting red zone carries. And he scored two touchdowns in week one, both inside the 10-yard line. So this may be you know, a running back by committee with, with Jonathan Taylor. And Phillip Rivers, I always say, peppers his running backs with targets. Naeem Hines, very good pass catcher. Naeem Hines could catch 75 passes this year. Now that Marlon Mack's out of the equation, I'm not even kidding. So I would probably have Naeem Hines first in PPR formats and probably Malcolm Brown and James Snell first in non-PPR formats. If Hines is in free agency, I'd be willing, and it's a full-point PPR league, 12-team league, I'd be willing to go close to, I don't know, 40 50% of the free agency budget that you have, and I'd be putting him at the top of the priority uh, for uh, rolling waivers. James Robinson, he was picked up in a lot of leagues before this game, but if you're in a more casual league, he's Jacksonville's starter. I would favor him over any of the running backs that I just named. I mean, he's not quite too high above them, but he received every single one of Jacksonville's running back carries in week one. He was used to the workhorse. He wasn't used much in the passing game. He had a 28-yard catch, but he looked pretty good. I mean, he was looked good for an undrafted free agent. I think the Jaguars wouldn't have let Leonard Fournette walk if they didn't like James Robinson. Game flow might not always be in his favor because he plays for the Jaguars, but he is the most secure role of any of the backs I've named. James Robinson, I'd, he'd be right up there with Malcolm Brown with Benny Snell for me in non-PPR formats. I might even favor Hines in PPR formats. But again, I'll acknowledge that I'm a little higher on Hines than the experts will be. They're probably going to say that, you know, this is Jonathan Taylor's backfield. Hines is just going to be, you know, get three or four catches each game. I'm just not quite so sure about that. I think Taylor's going to be extremely valuable and get more as the season progresses. But I don't think that takes Naeem Hines away from ha- be, ha- being valuable in PPR formats. I think he still can be a very valuable start or at least a flex option. So Adrian Peterson got cut in some leagues when he was cut. He was picked up by the Lions and he was used as their starting running back. I'm not really too keen on him in PPR formats, but in non-PPR leagues, I am about spending a waiver wire uh, addition on Adrian Peterson, but it would be after those other guys because they are in a running back by committee with Kerryon Johnson and DeAndre Swift. Joshua Kelly is another Running back, he had he was on my deep sleepers list. He I mentioned him earlier. He had 12 carries for 60 yards, no catches. He did have a touchdown. It looks like he's going to be the goal line back for the Chargers, and he looked pretty good. I would be definitely throwing some dollars on Joshua Kelly. I'm not spending like you know 40% of my budget on Joshua Kelly because I think something would need to happen to Austin Eckler to, for Kelly to be an every week start. But he looks like he could be a decent flex play. I like him more in non-PPR leagues because he doesn't look, because it looks like Austin Eckler is going to get the receiving work for this team. But Joshua Kelly, he could be like a 50-yard, one-touchdown guy for non-PPR leagues. And I'd be willing to spend like 20% of my free agent budget on Joshua Kelly. I believe in his talent. Jarek McKinnon had a nice little game. He's going to be a change of pace back there. He outplayed Kevin Tevin Coleman 
to be the backup for Raheem Mostert. But if, if Jarek McKinnon starts getting more receiving work and he scored in week one, he could be a nice add for PPR formats. I'd be willing to spend at least 10% of my free agent budget on Jarek McKinnon. And Miles Gaskin is the last one. Or I shouldn't say the last one, but the last you know guy that may, might want to take a flyer on. I'm not going to spend too much free agency money on him, but he's definitely worth putting him in the rolling waivers priority list. He's definitely worth making a claim on. And he's also worth dropping a few free agency bucks down because he was the leader of the Miami Dolphins running back backfield, which was, again, it was terrible, but there's value to having a starting running back. And we don't really know. We kind of know what Matt Breida is. We kind of know what Jordan Howard is. We don't really know what Miles Gaskin is. So there's some uncertainty there. So yeah, he's just kind of a why not type of player, kind of roll the dice. No big deal. Don't spend a lot of money on it because his upside is limited in Miami, but he could be worthwhile. As far as other running backs, I'm going to list a bunch of handcuffs that I think should be on 12-team rosters, even though they have no standalone value, like you're not starting these guys, but they should be on 12-team rosters in case of you know something breaks the right way. And if I saw these guys in free agency in my 12-team league, I would be making a claim for them. The first is Alexander Madison. If he is in free agency, he honestly be one of my top claims. Chase Edmonds, same thing with him. I know I realize that they are handcuffs, but again, these guys are league winners if their starter running back goes down. Tony Pollard is another one. He should be rostered on 12-team leagues. Darrell Williams, look, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but a few people have asked me if they should cut Darrell Williams. I'm going to go ahead and say he's a maybe. I would say cut Darrell Williams if you don't want to be stashing a handcuff on your team because that's what Darrell Williams is. He's just a handcuff to Clyde Edwards-Elair. If something happens to the Fresh Prince, then Darrell Williams would be very, very valuable for fantasy football, probably be a top 15 running back, even if he is splitting some of the work with Darwin Thompson. Carlos Hyde is another handoff. He got a late goal line score. If something happens to Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde would have a lot of value. And Brian Hill, same thing for Todd Gurley. I think all of those players, even though they have no standalone value, should be rostered in 12-team formats. So if you see them and you have an extra minute spot, go ahead and pick them up and just see what happens. All right, moving on to wide receivers. If Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy are in free agency, like if you're in a very casual league, I would go and get them now. I thought their debuts were promising enough to justify them being rostered in 12-team formats, even 10-team formats for them. Paris Campbell as well. He was drafted in most leagues, but if he's out there in casual leagues, he would be my number one receiver priority uh, pickup. I would have my first priority of receivers on him, and I'd be willing to spend the 30% of at least 30%, probably 40% of my free agent auction budget on Paris Campbell if he's out there. Preston Williams is another one I would spend equal amount. Williams didn't look good in week one like Paris Campbell did, but he was being covered by Stephon Gilmore and Devontae Parker, not healthy right now with the hamstring issue. So Preston Williams will be the de facto number one wide receiver. So yeah, he should be a priority if he is in free agency. Anthony Miller, absolutely go grab him if he would be right up there with all the guys I just named, maybe even higher than Preston Williams. I, I don't know. I kind of see him and Paris Campbell as the same. I'd probably favor Campbell, to be honest. But Anthony Miller had a good game. He only played like 42% of the snaps, so that was kind of concerning. But with this Allen Robinson frustration news, Anthony Miller could end up having a, a pretty nice breakout season. And obviously, if you've been following along 
with my stuff, you know that I was very high on him as a sleeper this season. So Anthony Miller, good week one. I'd be willing to spend at least 30% of my free agent budget on Anthony Miller. The next receivers I have ranked would be Marcus Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard. I don't know which one I would prefer, honestly. It's really up to you. It's worth noting that MVS dropped a 60-yard touchdown, so he could have had an even bigger day. He could have finished as the wide receiver one on the week, honestly, other than maybe Calvin Ridley. But MVS, he's more of the deep threat there. You're gonna, It's going to be a boomer bust each week. Alan Lazard, more of a possession receiver, the Lazard King. I think both of those guys are worth at least 10% of your free agent auction budget, but they will probably both be inconsistent in the Packers offense behind Devontae Adams. And this still probably is a run first offense, despite what we saw against Minnesota. Mike Williams is another one who got cut a lot after being drafted because of the shoulder issue. And same with Jalen Rager. Uh, I view them both pretty similarly. I liked how Mike Williams was utilized by Terod Taylor. I'd be putting at least 10% of my free agent auction budget on him. Same for Jalen Rager. Rager's more of a long-term play. He only saw four targets, and they have Deshaun Jackson for deep, but he did catch his one of those targets for 55 yards. Rager wasn't really used anything as other than a deep threat, so I didn't really like the usage there. But Rager, again, he was playing a little bit hurt, banged up, and I think that over time, the Eagles want him to be successful. So he's more of a stash. But yeah, I'd be spending at least 10% of my free agent auction budget on him if he is a free agency because of the injury. Corey Davis, same thing about him. You can't tell if he's a flash in the pan or not. You can't tell if he's really here to stay. He had 100 yards and he kind of outshadowed and outplayed A.J. Brown. But the Titans, very, very run-heavy offense. They ran an exorbitant amount of plays in week one. I don't know if the upside is really there for Corey Davis, but I definitely think he's worth a shot, and he definitely should be rostered in 12-team leagues. I'd be willing to spend at least 10% of my free agent auction budget on Corey Davis as well. And Nikhil Harry, probably a 5% kind of guy. I think Nikhil Harry, if he's not rostered, he saw six or seven targets in this game. He had 39 yards, and he actually was probably a yard away from scoring, but he fumbled out the back of the end zone, which really hurt his fantasy day because that touchdown turned into a touchback, which is minus two. But Nikhil Harry had a pretty steady role. He started and could end up being one of Cam Newton's two primary targets along with Julian Edelman. So he's somebody that I'd be throwing a couple dollars at as well. Scotty Miller, same thing. The upside is kind of limited in this Bucks offense. There's a lot of mouths to feed for Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, you know, OJ Howard. But Scotty Miller really showed a nice rapport with Tom Brady. I mean, if there's any receiver that connected with Brady, it was Miller. I don't think Miller's going to be like a Wes Welker or Julian Edelman for Brady, even though that will be the stereotype. He's more of a deep threat, honestly. So I think he's just kind of a boomer bust play each week. But yeah, I'd throw some money out at Scotty Miller. Just I would, I definitely wouldn't be breaking the bank. I feel the same way for Russell Gage. He's worth an ad. He had 12 targets, nine catches, 100 yards for Russell Gage. But he's the Falcons' third receiver. I think Hayden Hurst is going to start playing into that. It was, it seemed like a fluky line in Week One because the Falcons were trailing by so much, and they already have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. But Gage was pretty good, and the Falcons. There will be other games where they are trailing by a lot. He could be a matchup-based play if the Falcons are projected to lose by like seven or more per Vegas. So yeah, throw you know a dollar or two at Gage, like no big deal. But he's definitely somebody that I'm leaning towards more of the fluke side for. 
Uh, LaVisca Chenault and Steven Sims kind of round out the receivers for me. You know, throw a dollar or two at these guys. I think that Chenault's role could increase as the season progresses. I feel the same way with Sims, but they are on offenses that aren't that great. At tight end, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson are obvious ads like, you know, break the bank for in free agency if they are there. They likely are not. I'd be making a very, very strong aggressive play at them if they were. Uh, the same for Johnny Smith. I would definitely be making a strong play for Johnny Smith. Uh, probably at least 30% of my fab dollars for Johnny Smith. And I also feel the same way about Dallas Goddard, who was the number one tight end scorer in week one. Zach Ertz, not too happy with his contract right now. They've been splitting work for a while. Got Dallas Goddard actually finished the season with similar numbers to Zach Ertz in the final like seven-ish games of last season. So this is not, week one is probably not a fluke. It's probably just carrying over from the end of 2019 season. I would be worried if I had Zach Ertz on my teams and I'd be wanting to aggressively target Dallas Goddard in free agency if he is there. I think that Tyler Higby is a hold and not a cut. So be on the lookout for anyone who cuts him. Gerald Everett got hurt in their game. And I think Higby is still the number three uh, option on a Rams Offense that I expect to pass a lot more. And I thought Higby did look good in limited opportunities. So he's a hold. I wouldn't be panicking yet on Higby. We'll wait and see. Chris Herndon, same thing there. He had a tough matchup in week one against the Bills. I'd be holding. Same thing for Mike Jasicki. He had to play the Patriots. Very, very tough matchup there. Um, We have a situation where Devontae Parker is hurt. So Jasicki could be maintaining that big slot role for Ryan Fitzpatrick. There will be better days at the office for Mike Jasicki. I'm holding on to him, and I'm watching to see if anyone cuts him. Uh, Logan Thomas, I rank right behind Mike Jasicki. He's definitely worth throwing some dollars at in free agency if you need a backup tight end or even if you need a starter for whatever reason. He's worth taking a flyer at. He's very athletic, quarterback turned tight end. But again, the upside in this offense is just kind of limited with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. But yeah, he's definitely the type of player from an athletic standpoint, that you want to take a shot on in free agency. Austin Hooper, I'm holding on to him. I would have considered cutting him, but now that David Njoku is out, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, Austin Hooper may get more work. And now Odell Beckham, if those trade rumors are true, that could also increase his fantasy stock. So I'm holding on to Austin Hooper for at least another week or two. O.J. Howard, worth definitely along with Logan Thomas, worth getting as like a backup tight end for sure. And for very deep leagues, I'm going to even throw out Jimmy Graham out there. Jimmy Graham had a touchdown called back in this game. He scored on another play, and he looked pretty decent, actually, even though he's old as dirt. At kicker, I'll just reel through some kickers real quick. Young Ho Koo, the greatest onside kicker in the history of the NFL. Uh, You don't get any points for that. You should. But he faces Dallas this week in a high-scoring affair. That game could be a shootout, and it will be played indoors. So I like Young Hoku to be picked up on free agency. Uh, if not for every week, maybe just to stream. He could have had more points in week one despite the terrible game script, but he missed a kick. Uh, Mason Crosby, he plays Detroit this week. The Packers offense looks like it's going to be more aggressive this year, so he might be better than expected. He wasn't very good last year because the Packers were so conservative despite them being 13-3, and which normally 13-3 and kickers are good. But Crosby had a good week one. He does get Detroit this week, so he's a good option. Mason, excuse me, not Mason, Jason Myers. I combined his name there. He's also a very good option for this week. He's on a 
Seattle offense that looked very, very explosive. You want kickers on winning teams. You want kickers on high-potent offenses like Seattle. I like Jason Myers a lot to be picked up for a fantasy kicker. Uh, He faces New England this week, so I think that they could hold him to a lot of field goals. And I think that Seattle's just a better team than New England, so I'm not really worried about that. And then Tyler Bass, he was kind of like a sleeper kicker for me in week one in my matchups preview pod. And he had a decent outing. I think he had like eight points. But he's a rookie kicker for the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills get the Miami Dolphins this week. So that is a great, great, great streaming spot for a kicker. If you're just kind of going through kickers like no big deal. Great streaming spot for Tyler Bass. Probably nobody's going to even put a dollar on this guy or make a claim on this guy. So you can just kind of wait and get Tyler Bass probably in free agency after waivers runs. And lastly for defenses, uh, the Chiefs defense. They face the Chargers this week and Tarod Taylor. So yeah, definitely want to be starting the Chiefs this week. If they're in free agency, they'd probably be my number one defensive ad. I I don't think we can ignore the Washington football team. Even though they have a tough matchup against the Arizona Cardinals this week, I don't think we can ignore. They finished at the DST1 against the Eagles. Their defensive front seven looked fierce. Even though they don't have a great secondary, I, I just... I think Washington's worth a pickup to see if they can be this year's like surprise defense because there's always one or two of them that just come out of the woodworks and end up being like a top five defense. Washington definitely has the tools to be that this year. And the Broncos defense, they might have been cut. They might get cut in some leagues after like a decent showing against the Titans, but the Steelers are their opponent in week two. And they just lost those two offensive linemen, like I said. And the Broncos defense was way better than I thought without Von Miller. So I think they're worth a pickup. Arizona, if you're just totally playing matchups, I don't think they have a good defense, despite playing decently well against San Francisco. I think that was more just Jimmy Garoppolo sucking. But Arizona, they get the Washington football team and Dwayne Haskins, so that could be a couple sacks and maybe some turnovers right there. Uh, The Tennessee Titans, along with the Kansas City Chiefs, should be the number one streaming option if they're available this week because they get the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know Gardner Minshew lit up the Colts, but I think the Titans are going to rebound this week, and I think they're going to have a good game against the Jaguars. So, yeah, definitely Titans defense to be picked up. Seattle, they get the New England Patriots. And I know that sounds scary, but we saw a very run-committed offense in New England against Miami. They weren't special. And Cam had a good debut, but if you can stop Cam Newton, it looks like you can stop this team pretty easily. Seattle... Didn't look that great against Atlanta, but they were winning by so much the whole game. A lot of it was just garbage yards, and they just kind of let Atlanta nickel and dine them down the field. I could see Seattle being a good pickup here, and I feel the same way about Tampa Bay. They get Carolina this week. I think Tampa Bay's defense played a lot better than the stats indicated against the Saints. I thought they were flying to the ball. They were fierce, and I think Tampa Bay's going to end up with a good defense this year. They get Carolina in Week 2. Not a great matchup, but definitely not a bad one. Uh, And lastly, the Colts. I mean, they looked pretty soft against the Jaguars. That didn't really work out that well to stream them. However, their Weeks 2 through 6 is just amazing. Like, I just don't want to let them hit free agency because of it. They get the Vikings in Week 2, who just, you know, that's an okay matchup. But in Week 3, they get the Jets, which is awesome. In Week 4, they get the Bears. In Week 5, they get the Browns, Baker Mayfield. And in Week 6, they get the Bengals with Joe Burrow. So, yeah, great, soft opening schedule for the Indianapolis Colts. So I'm not letting them hit waiver wire as well. And they might be one of those rare cases where maybe you don't start them against the Vikings. Maybe you stream someone else. But maybe 
you know, if you can if you can afford it, maybe you can have two defenses on your roster. Wait for them to start that incredible run in week three through week six. All right, that is it. I hope that helped. Good luck making waiver wire moves. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. Please, please, please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And give me a favorable rating or review. That kind of stuff helps a lot. I really appreciate your continued support. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.